Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today we're talking about the rapidly expanding field of sleep technology with members of the AASM's Emerging Technology Committee. Dr. Marianne Deke is Medical Director of Sleep Medicine at Evacor Healthcare and Chair of the Emerging Technology Committee. Dr. Sharon Shudi Roden, Vice Chair of the Committee, is an Adjunct Professor of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. And Committee Member Dr. Ambrose Chang is Chief of the Division of Sleep Medicine at the Cleveland VA Medical Center. Welcome to Talking Sleep, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So in the interest of full disclosure, um, I need to say that I previously served on this committee for three years, and I've since rotated off. So I'm really excited to check in with all of you and to learn more about what's been going on. So let's start with the goals of the committee. What is your charge? So I think one of um, the major goals of this committee that that started um, when we worked together, SEMAs, and has continued um, is furthering the understanding of sleep technology for our members. Um, it's such an incredibly vast field, and we want to help um, deliver, you know, accurate, um, up-to-date information to our members so that they don't have to be searching for it. So I'll throw this out to you, Sharon. How should we be thinking about sleep technology? Well, um, the, the, as everyone knows, it's so broad. There are many consumer devices and apps. Um, there are many clinical devices and apps. And then there are devices and apps that sort of fall in between in a hybrid state or in a transitional state. And so that's one of the ways that we started thinking about how to categorize these just to sort of get a, a, a handle on it so we could digest um, you know, the, the purposes and the um, claimed uses for these, these different products. So um, we divided them into categories for consumer, hybrid or transitional and clinical, but then we also divided them into diagnostic category, therapeutic category, and then long-term monitoring category, um, because a consumer device can be diagnostic, therapeutic, and uh, provide uh, long-term data management and monitoring, as well as the clinical. Um, so that's sort of how we we tried to to um, categorize these into digestible, you know, buckets, if you will, um, to approach the apps and the devices. So this is a gigantic charge. <laughs> this is there are just so so many different apps and devices and gadgets. And um, a couple of years ago, when I was on the committee, we had made a point of separating out clinical and consumer. And it sounds like you've also got this new hybrid group. Um, Ambrose, can you kind of take us through what the difference is between clinical and consumer, and then the hybrid group, please? Um. Uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, that uh, when I look at um, the sleep technology uh, market, I feel like a kid in a toy store <laughs> or a candy store. I'm trying to figure out what I want to pick and to bring home. Uh, so 
it's 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 kind of a difficult uh, difficult job to really evaluate and look into all these new tech and technologies, and I believe that everybody in the community feel the same way. As Ambrose started talking, I I thought of of you know just picturing that you are in a store and there's a clinical aisle and then there's a consumer aisle. That that's and, nice. And and then there's this mixture aisle where you know the hybrid is one part of the technology you know is clinical but another part isn't um and the transitional where um uh you know it's it's in the process of being moved from the consumer aisle to the clinical aisle so sharon if you were the store owner how do you decide what goes on which shelf Great question. Um, and we struggle with that quite a bit. Um, we, we generally tend to uh, define uh, a clinical device as one requiring a prescription um, and a consumer device or app not requiring a prescription. It is, uh, has been the way that we've defined these to date. So it's kind of a nice line in the sand then, right, for people to understand the differences. And then presumably the clinical devices have perhaps more robust validation. Uh, you know, that brings up the other question. You know, the clinicians are always looking to to understand, um, you know, the evidence behind the claimed use. And we often look to whether a product uh, device app is FDA cleared or FDA approved, um, whether it requires a prescription, whether it doesn't require a prescription, whether there have been clinical trials, whether there are papers. Um, and it can be quite a hunt. Um, you know, in, in what we do is um, we, we have been on the hashtag sleep technology, which is one of the, the several resources we're going to talk about um, for the members. Um, we try to go to um, uh, go through all of these, these um, uh, you know, um, ways to determine the claimed uses for a device or app. And it can be quite uh, time consuming and quite confusing, particularly if you're not really familiar with FDA terms. So let's make it a little bit more simple. So how, how does that process work? Is in order for something to get FDA approved, is the onus on the person developing that technology then to approach the FDA? Well, the FDA provides um, a framework for how to categorize devices. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the company or the individual would need to, um, to place their device in a particular category and apply um, based on that. And that, that's largely based on um, the risk um, related to that particular device. Um, and so, you know, class three devices require pre-market approval, um, which is, would, would require that they, they um, demonstrate um, scientifically that the device is, um, is effective and safe. There are so many FDA terms, and they can be really confusing. Um, as an example, the lowest bar is FDA registered. And that really means that the company has clearly let the FDA know that the product exists. It doesn't mean that the FDA has looked at it in terms of safety or intended use. 
Um, the FDA looks at um, the devices and, and, and apps in terms of class one, which is like the lowest risk, class two, moderate risk, and class three, highest risk. And so in order to, um, uh, their, sort of their first level uh, where the FDA is really looking at things is to clear it. And those are usually, so when you see FDA clear it, it usually is referring to a class two device. Um, and um, for the class three device, but class two device, the, the FDA clear does not require clinical trials or anything at all like that. Um, usually the next bump up uh, would be FDA approved. And those are, that's usually reserved for class three. And that often uh, uses uh, or requires um, clinical trials and, um, you know, uh, uh, more data. Oh, see, um, I thought FDA cleared was for devices and then FDA approved was more medications. Is that not right? No, FDA oh. pre-market approval um, there is essentially required for a class three devices. Um, and clearance um, is for class two devices. Um, so give me an example of a class three and a class two device. So HSAT, like like um, the PAT technology or the flow-based technology, are those class two devices? Those are class yes, two devices. Yes, they're all class two. Yeah. Whereas something like that's implanted would be like a hypoglossal like nerve stimulator. Yeah. Yeah, would be class three. But but this sort of goes away from um I suppose more of I guess what I think about in terms of sleep technology. I want to mention uh one thing really quickly. I think Sharon mentioned something quite important. Uh uh I mean these classifications are very confusing and what is what the right term to use uh, is important. Uh, uh, Sharon mentioned something called FDA registered uh, devices. I think uh, there is a big confusion. Uh, a lot of folks believe that FDA registered equals to FDA cleared, mm -hmm. which is not. Uh, so it's important to understand that the FDA registered devices are simply registered. For example, pulse oximetry has this FDA uh, PGJ class. Uh, that simply means uh, you can register a, a pulse oximeter. Of course, there are a bunch of pulse oximeters out there on Amazon, and they are not <laughs> right. even registered. They are just cheap pulse ox out there. Uh, how good are they? We really do not know. Uh, but some of the pulse ox, better pulse, are FDA cleared class two devices, uh, and some some of them are FDA registered. Again, for registered, we don't have a whole lot of information. F FDA only have them registered. That's my understanding. So clearly, this is very, very complicated. All of these different, um, all of these different terms and categorizations and so on and so forth. And so I really appreciate that you have created um, resources for us to help figure this out in terms of a clinical practice. So talk to me about some of these resources. You so just had a statement. I was just going to say, Seema, you took the words out of my mouth because um, I was going to say that part of what we were trying to accomplish with um, the hashtag sleep technology site, but then also with um, some papers that we've published most recently in JCSM is to try to demystify um, some of the um, some of the data out there and um, perhaps uh, separate that from the or, or clarify where that 
that is in line with the FDA classification. Because for example, something can be cleared as a class two device, but there may not be any peer reviewed publications. Um, so to try to clarify, you know, where that data is coming from and, and where they are in terms of um, researching a particular device. So you're trying to bridge those silos for us. Right. And then also with the paper, trying to think of technology in these broad tech, in these broad categories so that we can better, better understand um, where particular devices fit in. So talk to me a little bit about this paper that was published in JCSM. So what is important for us to understand? So um, again, we, we, you know, we wanted to highlight um, that it's easier to, to understand um, the devices if you just think about them in categories. Um, and then also what we wanted to do was to provide just a general approach of how to think about um, uh, a device or app. Um, in terms of, you know, we mentioned the awareness of these FDA terms. What does it mean? Um, uh, what do the terms themselves mean? Um, for example, you might see light sleep have a, have a definition in one device or app um, and a different definition in a different device or app. So, you know, just defining the sleep data terms. And we provided um, um, uh, some of the more commonly used definitions in the paper to, to help sort through things. Um, we felt it was really important to define the populations, um, to know whether particular populations were um, uh, the target population for a device app, um, or whether there were exclusionary populations. Um, should we be using um, a device app for people with heart failure, or you know, um, uh, you know, with with other uh, you know other comorbidities? Um, you know, we really felt strongly about defining for age ranges um, as another example. Um, you know, to consider the data integrity. Um, I, I can keep going on. So tell me, tell me how this then links to the hashtag sleep technology website. Tell me about what this is and how people can utilize this information. So I would say this, the hashtag sleep technology site zooms in to particular devices. So if you're, you're interested in a device and you want a quick reference for um, that summarizes the information about the device, the evidence that's available, um, you know, whether it's FDA cleared, et cetera, um, that would be the hashtag sleep technology. Um, the papers are more of a broad, broad overview um, to help and a guide to help you think about sleep technology in general. And so there um, is a montage article, I understand. And, and really the focus of this one is to talk about non-PAP options. And I think we've all been having more of these conversations, right, since the Philips recall. So tell me about this article in montage. Uh, so, uh, yes, a few committee members uh, uh, work on this in the past few months. Uh, and this article is going to be coming out uh, soon on Montage. And just very briefly, we reviewed five different devices uh, that have been cleared by the FDA and are available on the U.S. market. 
so this includes Somnera, previously called Fresca, which is a PET devices using a patented smart valve seated in a, uh, either a nasal pillows or nose mask uh, to provide primarily EPAP. And we also reviewed Bongo RX uh, and Autopap, and these are uh, uh, nasal EPAP devices similar to Provan, uh, which was previously discontinued last year. Um, and the fourth one we reviewed uh, is the INAP device, uh, which is a better operated negative intraoral uh, pressure device, uh, kind of uh, similar to Winx, uh, which was discontinued a few years ago. And, and the last one we reviewed was Excite OSA, previously known as Snoozeal. And uh, this is an electrical stimulator device used uh, awake uh, on the tongue. Uh, so, so we reviewed uh, the intended indication, the related technology, the proposed mechanism, uh, uh, the FDA status and availability in the United States. Uh, we, we had a brief summary uh, of the literature and some comments. Uh, uh, I, I do want to say this, that we did not go into a very extensive, comprehensive literature review, uh, 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 even though we did review the literature. Uh, so so this, is, this is kind of more informational to our members uh, to know what is on the market and- uh, And probably uh, easier to digest, right? Rather than a deep yes. dive into everything, more of a, these are the options that are available for our patients, and here's what you need to know about it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I encourage everyone to, to, to read it and to, to also go to hashtag sleep technology website for more information. I mean, this sounds like a really useful thing. Do you think this will be a recurring um, section in Montage? I hope so. I think that's <laughs> one of... <laughs> Thank you for that plug. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think part of the idea is um, to, you know, when you go on to hashtag sleep technology, you're, you're basically looking at, you know, a large number of devices. You could search by certain categories, but we thought it'd be helpful to be able to, uh, you know, look at technologies in particular categories or that have um, similar intended uses to look at those side by side and try to and compare and contrast those uh, for the membership. Yeah, I think f for the first one, we wanted to sort of think, what do the members really need and, and want right now? And we thought clinical therapy. And so that was the target um, that we went for with looking for CPAP alternative devices. Um, and I think our, our next one that, you know, we're hoping to target is clinical diagnostic, because a lot of these technologies are now sort of transitioning into HSAT land um, right. because of, you know, the ability to use heart rate variability with, uh, you know, accelerometer with artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, these devices are getting fairly accurate. And so we thought that that might be of great interest um, to the members to look at clinical diagnostic as sort of a next grouping. We certainly can do wearables. We can do uh, neurables. We can do the ring type devices. Um, and there are uh, all sorts of new uh, devices for, uh, for, uh, uh, for therapy as well.
Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about using these new technologies in our practices. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Get ready for your sleep medicine certification exam with the AASM's final board prep course. Held October 29th, this day-long virtual session includes an overview of exam content areas, practice questions, and advice on how to spend the last few days leading up to the exam. Register now at aasm.org fbpc. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. I'm talking to members of the AASM's Emerging Technology Committee, Drs. Marianne Deek, Sharon Schutte-Roden, and Ambrose Chang. So it's really evident that sleep technology is here to stay, and it really is overwhelming. And I say this as somebody who served on that committee for three years. How should a clinician incorporate the sleep technology in the context of a clinical visit? I think, and this is part of sort of the the purpose of this committee, but one of the most important um, aspects is is being educated about these technologies, um, being open-minded, but also understanding what we know and what we don't know. And, um, you know, for devices that are consumer devices that have limited or no data to support them, I think there's still a place for those in clinic um, in terms of opening discussions with patients um, about their sleep complaints and trying to use them as um, a vessel by which to understand patients, but also understanding um, the clinician understanding where they may be limited. Ambrose, how do you use it in your clinic? Uh, I think the uh, the first uh, would be to uh, understand intended use or indications for these devices. Um, uh, we all love these new technologies, but how do we use it clinically? That's extremely important. So, so I tend to look at it uh, in a way that I want to first understand the intended use or FDA approved indication. Uh, for example, the, in the montage article we just reviewed, uh, if you look at Bungo RX and Autipab, they're indicated in patients with uh, more mild, moderate OSA. And for Excite OSA, it's, it's only for snoring and mild OSA. For Somnara and INAP, uh, these are for all um, OSA severities. So I think I suggest at first uh, take a look at FDA-approved indication or the intended use. Uh, then maybe to review the validation studies a little bit. I think we need to to, to not just focus on the sensitivity, specificity, accuracy, and efficacy, and so on. We, we really need to review the article a little bit to understand the population tested and uh, uh, maybe the inclusion, exclusion criteria of the uh, maybe the distribution of sleep apnea severity in the study or BMI and so on, and long-term data compliance data and so on. So, so I think before I use any device, I would like to do a little bit more homework uh, to, to really understand the device and make sure I use it in the right patient. So you hit on something really important though, because you, you talked about how you love technology. So what about advice for people who don't or who maybe have not really embraced sleep technology? Is there advice for how to, you know, how they should maybe start to consider utilizing sleep technology in their clinics? Uh, I personally think the best place to start is really the, hash, the hashtag sleep technology website. 
uh, because we put a lot of effort into this. Uh, we we're just joking <laughs> earlier that this is not an easy committee to be in, uh, because Marianne assigned us a lot of homeworks to do every every month, and we do put in a lot of effort into it. And uh, we do review the articles, and we we'll put uh, probably not extensive review, but some review there. Uh, uh, so I would really suggest that everybody to uh, uh, to 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 uh, to really probably pay attention to the recurring montage articles uh, from now on. I believe we're going to have a few and, and to check out on our uh, hashtag uh, sleep technology website. I think we all have a little bit fear fear about, you know, adapting a, a new technology. But but again, this is a start to to take a look at all this stuff out there. They are, they are, you, you will find it very interesting. Sharon, your thoughts? Oh, I, I just was going to to sort of um, look at the or think about your your question um, about incorporating sleep technology in the visit is starting with the patient, and um, you know seeing if the patient has has been pursuing any kind of consumer technology or wants to know about any clinical technologies. Um, you know, that often can be the beginning of the discussion, as Marianne pointed out, um, uh, to open up more discussion about what their concerns are, you know, get getting using it as part of um, getting digging deeper into the history. Um, the using it for the clinician side um, can be very difficult because um, it can be quite time consuming, particularly since, you know, we weren't trained in, you know, all these thousands of different devices and apps that keep coming out, um, you know, uh, and to have to relearn or learn, um, you know, what the patients have been, you know, tracking themselves with, um, uh, you know, is, it can be challenging during a very time limited visit. Um, so just being able to refer to the hashtag sleep technology to look up a particular device or app. Um, and you can even do a search by category. You can type in insomnia and all the, all of those will come up. So it can be really ha handy for, you know, a busy clinician who, you know, the patient comes in and says, well, here's my latest watch. <laughs> what do you <Right>. think? <laughs> <laughs> so clearly this is something that is time consuming, right? We, we've all kind of danced around this issue, but it does take time, you know, and our clinics are already overloaded. So I'm going to ask you kind of a loaded question and I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Do you foresee some time where this work will be reimbursed? Uh, we are not sure. I think the uh, we certainly hope so. Uh, uh, I think all these devices, uh, a lot of them we can download, we can review the data. There are tons of data there. Uh, so for those devices that are validated, um, and probably to a certain extent, uh, well, it has to be FDA uh, uh, cleared. But for a lot of these devices, if we have enough validated data, I hope we will be reimbursed. Uh, that's that's what I what I think. I don't know about others. What do you all think? Well, it is really key that you know time, effort, and expertise are are reimbursed. Um, but you know, 
we we all hope for that uh, with you know reimbursement for remote patient uh, data monitoring, um, whether it be from you know CPAP data monitoring or uh, whether it be sleep monitor data monitoring. I mean, we're all hoping for that um, uh, as a practicality um, and able to to be able to use um, this wonderful technology. I, I think it's also important to. Uh, as Seema mentioned earlier, it's not going to go away. They're here right. to stay. And how are we supposed to use them together with home sleep testing, together with actigraphy and, and PSG? We, we eventually will have to figure out a way to use all these new technologies once they're validated. And, and so it's important that we uh, make an effort uh, to go toward that direction, I would say. I so think... I Go ahead. Uh, you know, I was just going to add that I think um, Ambrose hit on a key point in that um, that data and validation is really important in terms of understanding how to utilize these devices. And there are some devices that are you know being targeted to consumers, um, and th there may not be a lot of motivation on the part of the um, manufacturer to to do good studies. So um, I think. We as clinicians just need to to understand that um, and understand, you know, um, what the intended, you know, how the data supports the intended use or not. So I'm going to ask you the question that I think a lot of people are a little bit worried about. Do you think there's much appetite with industry, like the industry giants, to delve into diagnostic devices? I mean, right now they're marketed as wellness devices and and maybe a little bit of OSA awareness, for example. Do you think they're going to leap into diagnosis? There is the FDA approval clearance issue, correct? There is the acceptance with professional societies and with clinicians and whether we can all sort of get behind this. And And when you've got industry people that have you know, this technology and, and so on and so forth. To me, it seems logical that we all play in the sandbox together, right? Well, another key player are the insurance companies and CMS. Right. If, if it's not reimbursed, I mean, that falls under their uh, wing, if you will. Um, so that and, or complicates matters even more. So even if we have the technology, we have the evidence, we also need the insurance reimbursement in order to be paid for for work, um, I, 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 the, the, my answer to this question is that yes and no, because some of the companies may have an appetite to dive into this, uh, but I'm afraid a lot of companies will probably not be interested in doing that because. Uh, my understanding is that uh, diving to this diagnostic devices uh, development and research is really, really a long and very difficult journey. And in contrast, uh, a consumer market is fairly easy. It's a very easy route. Uh, so I think it has a lot to do with the philosophy uh, and maybe the aim of a company. If the company is very profit-driven, uh, they may not be interested in, in, in research and development of a clinical uh, diagnostic tool. Uh, the larger companies maybe, uh, some small startup companies may be committed 
to do a good job in research and development, but it's just so difficult. I mean, if you just imagine they have to develop a product, design it well, they have to validate, they have to market, they have to deal with all the regulations, they have to get published and and deal with FDA. It's just not not an easy route. So <laughs> so I, I think if you look at, I, I personally have tons of respect for those small startups who are really willing to to dive into this and and develop new generation devices and algorithm and so on. Uh, but but I, I understand uh, I get to talk to some of them. It's just not an easy route. So well, and to your point, this is everywhere, right? It seems yes. like everybody has some sort of tracker and so on and so forth. And and you know, early on, I think we saw a lot of orthosomnia, you know, where people become so fixated on their perfect numbers and their 10,000 steps and their perfect sleep, that it was leading to insomnia symptomatology. Do you guys think we're seeing more orthosomnia now or less than we have in the past? I think that's, that's an ongoing um, issue for some people. Um, I think one of the challenges of the vast amount of information that's available um, from not just sleep technology, but just technology in general, is that um, it, it provides a lot of detail, um, and, but may not provide the context. I think many of these devices try to provide the context, but um, you know, I think it, it can be a challenge to for patients to understand what some of the data means. And and that's maybe an opportunity, right, to engage our patients and partner with them to help them understand what all of this means, which really infers that means that we need to understand what it all means. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I appreciate all the resources that, that you have um, developed. Do you think this has helped our colleagues sort of wrap their arms around all of this sleep technology? I hope so. Um, I, I mean, that's certainly the goal. And, um, you know, I, I, as you know, Seema, we started out, both you and Sharon and I, when we were on the, the first run of this committee, um, looking just at consumer sleep technology, and now it's expanded to clinical sleep technology. Um, and so um, it's, you know, we're trying to provide more and more, um, you know, easily accessible resources. Um, to help members with this challenging um, aspect of practicing medicine in the modern age. Yeah, I don't think I fully appreciated how extensive this area was until we started trying to categorize it. I think that was very challenging. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that our committee name has emerged and changed every year. Uh, I think this is our third name, the emerging. I think it's more uh, than technology. Three. I think committee. it's more than three. I think yeah. it's four or oh, five. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we have to keep so up it's... with technology. We have to evolve as quickly as technology is evolving. So. <laughs> I love it. So, final thoughts. I, I just want to share one thing that uh, uh, being part of the committee for the past uh, uh, two years, and I found it a very pleasant and fascinating journey. I learned a whole lot and absolutely enjoyed it. So hopefully uh, some of the listeners uh, may be interested in joining this committee um, uh, in the future. Uh, just a little bit of advertisement. <laughs> it was definitely a fun committee. Absolutely.
Sharon, Marianne. Oh, I, I just I just wanted to say that that um, you know one thing that we perhaps could uh, touch on in part two podcast uh, <laughs> is about, <laughs> is about uh, the proprietary artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning that um, is part uh, of. Uh, the difficulty in determining evidence um, on these devices and apps, and that that's a whole that's a whole other session to if, for that discussion, but very important. Marianne, how about you? Final thoughts? I guess what I would also like to add is I think part part of what we're doing, in addition to um, educating the membership, is to also give voice to. Um, to clinicians in this technology world, um, because you know we have we have a lot um, that we can provide in terms of input um, to industry um, while they're thinking through some of these devices, and so um, that was also um, that's also one of the goals. Well, thank you all. And thank you for evaluating all of these new devices and technologies and helping our colleagues better understand their capabilities. Thank you. Thank you. Great experience. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well. <laughs>